Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen And Pat McLean. Glad to, to have you here as we are talking about financial matters and the world of the markets and good financial planning. Having some sort of financial independence, being in a place where you're not freaked out about the markets, because unfortunately, too many people seem to do that. Um, Tax planning, investments. Yeah. Oh, insurance. What about insurance? I replaced my insurance this year. <laughs> like, Did I talk oh, about this on the show? I don't know. I went out and repriced. So I, I traditionally, I've I have used a broker. And brokers don't have the the whole menu of insurance. They sound like it, but they might have two or three main carriers, right? They may. Or there are certain firms that are what they call, I don't know what they call them now, but they used to call them captive agents where if like there's- a state farm, farmers, all state. state. That sort of thing. Yeah, I priced it both with a broker and with the and uh, captives. Captive came down half the price. Half the price. With uh, your umbrella policy as well? Everything. And they were able to get fire insurance in California, your California That's home? That's right. That, actually, one of the reasons I repriced it is because my homeowner's insurance went up so much because we are very close to where the Caldor why, Fire why, They always have this an, the annual, re, like you have to wait till the end of the calendar year. Oh, you don't have to. They just like it that way? Is that how it yeah, works? Uh, it's a little bit more expensive because then they amortize... You get a refund on your premiums paid, but you don't get the annual discount on it. So it's a little bit more expensive to leave mid-year, but you can leave mid-year. But I've left mid-year. Because it took me a while to price it, so it went past that. So I made the premium payments and then got a refund. But insurance. Well, homeowner's insurance, particularly if you're in an area where you have um, outside calamities, fires, floods, it can be Yeah, and So- did you? I read this article about the federal government. There's certain parts of whatever states there. Those areas that get flooded over and over, and there's that national program mm-hmm. that kind of bails these people out all the time. And so they're talking about the government just simply buying these homes from people. I said that makes perfect sense. It's cheaper if it's if every six years the thing gets washed out and the government taxpayers are are or rebuilding it. Or but this is or what happens? So. It happens uh, in fire zones, uh, a lot in the Mississippi uh, River Delta, uh, and a lot of barrier islands, where the insurance premiums go up so high that they're actually that destroys the value of the homes. And then there's all sort of political backlash because this federal right. government program that has this. And I always thought the same thing, which is, why do I have to pay for you to get to live on a barrier island? I want to live on a barrier island. Why are you using my tax dollars to get to live on a barrier island? And then every X amount of years it gets wiped down, then the government rebuilds it. Yes. So that's the concept. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> my point being, my point being, if you Shop. haven't shopped your insurance premium, um, your insurance carrier in a while, do it. Well, and a lot of people are underinsured on their umbrella policies too. Yeah, buy a big that's, umbrella yeah. policy. Now, this is the first time I've seen Pat get excited at the beginning of the program of uh, insurance. It's <laughs> like, was... oh, like squirrel. No, 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 no. Actually, I should be embarrassed because my premium doubled on my homeowner's insurance. I went out to market and I got it half of what it was. So what it used to be. What it used to be before double. So it was basically a quarter of what it was going to be with my old carrier. 
Really? Yeah. It was significant. I mean, look, you save oh, yeah, yeah, a couple yeah, hundred yeah, bucks yeah, here, yeah. a couple hundred bucks there. I imagine your savings was more than a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <I'm just saying. laughs> but I'm used to shopping a lot when I was younger, and I haven't in the last three or four years. And I'm like, this is the yeah, increase is so large. Me to look at my. Uh, there we go. But this is uh, it's a financial show, yeah. and that's what's and it's financial. really about you. But 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 the point being is actually one of the steps um, in the seven personal decision points that we actually go through is risk, and the risks that we talk about are. Oftentimes, well, one how you're invested, yeah, and then long term care is a risk, right? Cost and of a, medical insurance, and then uh, liability and claims against any property that you do have, or some sort of fire damage to your home, that's or right. flood, or something, or whatever. Yes, things that you can't or any suffer. claim. Anyway, that's risk. But let's and, go. and and insurance, I tend to I I don't I don't pay for like most of these little insurances. Like on, like you buy a toaster on Amazon and ask you, do you want to insure Correct. this thing for two years? You're not buying that. I don't buy that. But you're buying insurance on blackjack on a blackjack at the, at, in uh, Vegas. When they got, they're shown an ace. People say, do you want to buy that insurance? You don't even know how to play blackjack, do you? I know how to play blackjack. <laughs> it's twenty one, baby. I don't play a lot of blackjack. <laughs> nor do I go to Vegas. That was a poor attempt at a joke. Yes, um, but it, the, the small things you can self insure for. Right, correct. Whether your point, it's a new, it's a television you're buying, or an airline ticket you're buying, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Look, every time you write an insurance premium, roughly fifty cents on the dollar just goes to the insurance company itself. Yep, for right. overhead. Yeah, or, yeah. It doesn't come back in a claim. Some products paid. is probably much worse than that. So, look, over a long period of time, you can self-insure for most of these little things. Have insurance for the really expensive things, like, like big your things. home. Yes, and then they have a large deductible. Yes. Because you're not going to file a claim anyway on a small claim. And then a big liability. And a big liability policy. That umbrella policy is really important, I think. Anyway, let's, uh, we're going to take calls because this program is about calls. And if, uh, and by the way, if you're listening through podcasts, you can call the show as well. The number, 833-999-6784. The number works 24-7, and we schedule time to take your call. You can also email us questions at moneymatters.com, questions at moneymatters.com. We'd love to hear from you and possibly have you be part of an upcoming show to answer your questions. Let's talk to Craig. Craig, thanks for joining All Worth Money Matters. Hello. Hey, Craig. Hey, how you doing? Um, I listen to you quite a bit, and I heard you speak about backdoor IRAs. And uh, just a few questions on that. What exactly is it? Okay. Is it a good idea? And then three, how do you accomplish it? And the gotchas. Got it. So the backdoor, it's a backdoor Roth IRA. And this is really for people whose incomes are, well, it's two things, actually. Um, The backdoor, there's a backdoor Roth IRA and the backdoor 401k Roth IRA strategy. So uh, the backdoor is just essentially, here's the regulations. Your income's too high. You can't contribute to a Roth IRA. The backdoor says, huh. Is there any way we can accomplish this, still being within compliance of the tax code, but be able to have some money funneled into uh, a, a Roth IRA? And the way this way that you can accomplish this, and this is what I do personally, um, is you contribute money to a non-deductible IRA, which you're allowed to do, um, regardless of your income. You can contribute to a non-deductible IRA. Once it's there, immediately convert that to a Roth 
because you're allowed to convert to a Roth regardless of, of any income limitations. And what's the pitfall? When you convert, you need to take into account not just that one IRA, but all other IRAs that you have. Not 401ks, but all other IRAs that you have. So let's just say that you have 20 percent, uh, uh, you've got twenty thousand dollars in a deductible IRA, and then all of a sudden you put five thousand dollars into a non-deductible IRA, and then you convert it to a Roth IRA. You're like perfect. It doesn't work that way. Eighty percent of that will be a taxable event when you do the conversion, and twenty percent will be tax-free because it's on a pro-rata basis. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. Ooh, okay. So bad. how do you get around <laughs> that's it? Bad, that's <laughs> bad. That's bad. So how do you get around it? Are you currently employed? Yes. Okay. Let S- me talk about the second. Well, let me finish this okay. one first. Then we'll talk about, you want to talk about the 401k yeah, side all of right, it. Go ahead. So one of the easiest ways to do this is you tax law allows you to take a deductible IRA and roll it into a 401k. Yeah, transfer it. Just transfer it right into your existing 401k. Much like you can move money out of a 401k into an IRA, you can transfer money from an IRA back to your 401k, even though it had nothing to do with that employer. So you can take all your non-deductible IRA, all your deductible IRAs, all your traditional IRAs, traditional deductible IRAs, and you can transfer it into your existing employer's 401k and manage it Which you may or may not want to do. You may or may not want to do that, depending upon... What the 401k is like. How you feel about that. And whether you want some IRAs and that stuff. All right. Okay. So that's Understand the second that second backdoor. This is where an, you work for a company that per, uh, allows you to contribute more than the 401k limits on a non-deductible 401k basis. Now, not all employers do. I think a minority uh, but some large employers will allow for this. So you're typically limited, what is it, 20, 22,000 a year or yeah. something like that? Depending so, upon your age, it's more with yeah. a catch up. Uh, and it might allow you to put up to 50 grand a year with that extra dollars going into a non deductible 401k, which you could theoretically leave with your employer. But the problem is all the earnings on that non deductible non deductible will end up being taxed if it remains in the 401k. So uh, the backdoor option with the 401k is we contribute beyond the deductible portion. We contribute to that non-deductible. And then on an annual basis, we transfer, take those dollars and transfer them to a Roth IRA. So if you're, but your employer needs to allow for both those things, right? So, so those are a little minority of people rare and they're, and they're typically only surrounded by some of the very largest employers, tens of thousands of employees. Okay. So I don't know if you fall into that. I'd uh, have to look that up. Okay. Those two that. But you can do you can do them both at the same same county time. Yeah. You can do a non-deductible IRA contribution and then overfund your four hundred one k and do a transfer out into a Roth. So you're allowed to do both at the same time. It'd be rare. Yeah. It'd be rare, but you yeah. technically you can. All right, and then. I guess, is this a good idea for anyone, or is there, like, certain... Well, uh, you go, hey, this is not a... What, this isn't your best idea going well, on. Well, a, go ahead, Matt. Well, it depends. If you drive yourself into... Well, this wouldn't affect that. No. 
Yeah, if you can live, if you if you want to save more money on a tax preferential so, well, basis. I, I've been doing it. What I do is every other year, come springtime before April 15th, I'll make two contributions, one for the previous calendar year and one for the current calendar year. Because the previous calendar year, you've got up until April 15th before you make that contribution. So you can take two contributions in one calendar, one time, two years worth at one time, deposit into an IRA, a couple days later, convert it to that Roth. So there's no tax. It's the backdoor way to get money in there. And... Uh, yeah, it makes sense, and I and I do it as well, exactly the same way Scott does. Um, yeah, so it, it it I can't think of a time that it wouldn't make sense if you didn't have the money. Okay. But if you got money sitting in a bank account somewhere, it would make you're sense. better off actually using. Absolutely. You're but better it, off using living off the money in your bank account, and then putting more into your the more employer the plan. more money you can get into a Roth IRA. I mean, anytime you have an opportunity to get money into a Roth IRA. That's not that's not going to cause you any ta current taxes today. You're going to want to do so. So suddenly the IRS said, "Hey, guess what? Next month, uh, on next Monday, we've got a special Monday. You can put as much money into a Roth IRA, or hey, we'll allow you to put twenty grand into a Roth IRA." I'm, I I don't I don't know of a situation where you wouldn't recommend everybody. Like the consider. IRS is running a special on yeah, Roth special. IRAs. This is on Mondays. <laughs> on Mondays. Yes, a week from Monday. <laughs> it's a President Day special <laughs> on Roth IRAs. How about HSAs? I would think the same thing with HSAs. I just read there was some legislation pending about 529. Well, there's, there's, there's legislation that's been pending on uh, this backdoor issues as well. To stop it. So this could change. And But assuming that the um, Senate, Senate actually does. Yeah, so go ahead and do it if you've got the means. Yeah, I appreciate the call, Craig. And who, I don't know what if um, Senate's going to get around to... Just read an article on uh, 529 plans that uh, you get... There was a provision that you can convert them to a Roth IRA. This was in consideration. Um, it didn't pass. Don't oh, don't don't on. don't do that. Don't do that. But I thought to myself, this is how it starts. This is how it starts. How what starts? Hey, they started the when we first started in the industry. They didn't have a five twenty nine. Was an atma or agma. Now they had a 529, and then they're like, oh, let's loosen this thing up. Let's loosen the rules up around the 529 in order to allow people to convert this to a Roth IRA. I'm like, that'd be a screaming good deal. Convert a 529 to a Roth IRA for the, for the people that put the deposits in? I, that's not going to happen. Just because some congressman throws it in there. Yeah, hey, some, some company comes and lobbies them. He doesn't know any difference. She doesn't know any difference. Okay, here you go. Here's like, here. We'll throw that in, and then it's not going to ever. Not going <laughs> to. Huh? Okay. That is how it becomes right. into law. That you, sounds you do cynical. understand how that Speaking becomes. of cynical, because um, that's. Huh? I'm almost 60 this year, so I've been working on be, being more cynical uh, because I, I've heard that. But I don't think it's you're true. Not a tip. You're not a cynical I'm person. I'm not cynical. No. no. You're not a, a grumpy person. Oh, uh, no. Tip no, them I, some I, mornings. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not living with me. I, I can't imagine. I get to work by the time. <laughs> you're not you can living just with see me. me in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I've been married 30, a little over 30 years. Okay. I'm a morning guy. I wake up. So I'm awake, bounce out of bed, ready to go. Like, uh, and I am... Uh, I love to talk, and I'm just like very. I'm an extrovert, kind of extreme. Yes. My wife is by nature an introvert. 
So in the mornings, she doesn't like anyone talking to her. She doesn't like to talk. And I think the first few years of my marriage, I kind of took it personally, like she upset with me. Now I just realize that she didn't have her hour of quiet before she speaks. It's it's not going to be a good day for her. Oh. Why did I bring that up? I don't know. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. My apologies to our listeners as I'm talking about my morning routine with my wife. Okay. So. Who I love dearly, by the way. Um. Well, she'll be good. Maybe one day she'll listen to the show and she'll hear I that. I doubt that. She just, where's um, the check, honey? Um, where's so, the money? Came across this. Mom and pop investors took a billion dollar bath trading options during the pandemic. Now, we talked about this during the pandemic. It's uh, some part of the pandemic. We probably talked about it four or five times. Turns out taking leverage flyers on meme stocks mentioned on Reddit's Wall Street <laughs> Bets trading form is harder than it looks. You're kidding. New research from economists at the London School, uh, London Business School found that mom and pop day traders, by the way, they weren't mom and pop. They were mostly 18 to 26 yeah, yeah, year olds that's good point. working from their homes. Most of them were not mom and pops. Their mom's home. Yeah, <laughs> from mom's basement. New research from economists at London Business School found that mom and pop day traders managed to lose more than $1 billion during the market. The bill climbs. This is the most interesting part of this article because the billion dollars didn't surprise me at all. You'd expect that. Um, the bill climbs to $5 billion when the cost of doing business with market makers is factored in. So what does that mean? How could you lose a billion dollars making bad bets? Eh, easy. But what are the hidden costs? What is the friction? What is the fat in the food chain that this so-called Free cost of trading, the free cost of trading had to do with it. Well, among them is the super wide bid ask spreads and the option choices ate up a large portion of the cohort's potential gains. So when you went to any of these trading firms that said, Robin Hood, whatever, you get to do this for free, like, how are these guys making money? How, how's Robinhood doing it for free? There's not large enough cash balances in these accounts that they could take the spread on that. They were making the spread on the options. And the option spread at points in time were up to 13%. Oh, my gosh. Up to. And normally around 12, which means the difference between the bid and the ask. So what the broker is getting received and what they're passing those costs on to the consumer or this point in time, the person buying those options in the meme stocks. And an option is just nothing less, nothing more than giving someone the, the option of, of buying or selling a security. And That's there's different variations of it. And they originally started back in, um, if you think back in farmers, if you, if you're growing corn, you don't know what the price of corn is going to be by the time the harvest comes out. And you're thinking, well, if it's the prices are high, I'm going to be, I'll do fine. I'll have enough money to, to pay all my expenses for the year and buy some seed for next year and feed my family. But if prices are low, I'm in a world of hurt. I won't be here next year. I won't be here. So they would sell them ahead of time. Someone would buy that option through a futures contract, which is what options are, to Purchase that pride of, uh, that's that and particular commodity so farmer, a predetermined the stock. The farmer is shifting the risk away from him or herself 
to a, a buyer of the financial product. And sometimes the buyer might be having their own risk they're trying to mitigate by using this option. So sometimes options in and of themselves are not neither good nor bad. There's some really great uses for them and a risk mitigation tool. Oh, absolutely. But when you're just speculating and you're using options to uh, double your bet or triple your bet or quadruple your bet, it doesn't always work out. And there is a place for that. But typically, if you're the uninitiated, you don't have a background in finance, you don't understand the game very well, you shouldn't play it. Platforms like Robinhood revolutionized the so-called zero, the so-called zero commission trading. They route trading orders to market makers like Citadel and Susquehanna who pay the brokerages for that order and in return provide cheaper trades for Robinhood clients. So what happened is there was someone in there that was paying Robinhood, but the person, the consumer actually did not know it. So there was no fiduciary responsibility I thought it was from uh, free. Hood. I thought it was no commissions. Well, that's how it, it is a zero. Well, they're technically they're yeah, man, not a commission, but there's a cost born somewhere. Yeah, and and they wouldn't <laughs> they make money off something. They wouldn't receive that fee if they didn't make the trade. So is that a commission or is it a fee? We're I don't semantics. know. Semantics. Yes, get down to it. It's not a commission, so they can say zero commission. So the average. Quoted spread on retail trades across all maturities is more than 13%. So why are we talking about this? Don't play in a game that is filled with hype and hyperbole and don't miss out and everyone's getting rich. There's infomercials on, I don't know if they still have them, on online trading schools. Yes. And they, and you can, someone else has their, you can watch and you, all you got to do is whatever they tell you to do, just make those trades. Yeah. And I've heard these infomercials and they're probably on TV. I don't watch much TV. But it's, Why would they tell you what trades to make? Because <laughs> I guess if it was a pump and dump scheme. But it's not going to be. I, I mean. Anyway. So the point being, Scott, as you were saying, is that it's the hidden fees that oftentimes kill. It's the hidden fees. Well, this now the whole options market, I think, is a joke for most individual investors. It's a, it's a, my nephew, I love him dearly. He's my nephew. I've known him since he's been born, obviously. He's 22. Uh, this is like two years ago in the midst of all this. He says to me, hey, Uncle Scott, do you know anything about options? He's going to tell him about all the options trading he was doing. And I look at him, I'm thinking, I've been, I said, I've been in this business 30 years. <laughs> You know what I do for, you do know what your uncle does for a living, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I said, do you not think I know something about options? Are you actually going to explain to me how these options mark? By the way, he does not trade in options any longer. No, no, no. <laughs> actually, most of that is gone. The meme stocks are gone. The meme stocks are, are pretty much dead. Yeah. And I think- and uh, crypto's possibly soon behind yeah. it. Yeah. And I want to chat a little bit about, more about uh, Binance and some of these other companies, the crypto ex exchanges- um, yeah, it'll be, I've got to tell you, it's going to be really interesting the next year or two with the regulatory bodies and these crypto exchanges and the lawsuits. Uh, cause I think it's going to uncover lots and lots of uh, malfeasance. Yes, I really do. Anyway, we're taking a quick break. You're listening to all worth money matters.
Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McLean, thanks for sticking with us. And uh, we're going to do this little retirement factor fiction, Pat. When? Right now. <laughs> Got it. Got factor it. fiction. The 4% rule means it's likely you won't run out of money in retirement. Are you asking me? Yes. Is that factor fiction? Fiction. How is that not fact? How could you run out of money if you're only taking a, f- a fixed percentage? It, it depends on how your investment portfolio is allocated. So if you had all your money in cash, it's yielding one percent, and it depends on how your time frame is. So if you're, but if you're only taking four percent of your account, you're only taking four percent. How would it ever go to zero? Because it compounds quickly backwards. So it's right, a four. But if you start with a four percent out of a hundred thousand, let's say right? now you, you got ninety six thousand. You, you take four percent of nine. It's not four thousand. It gets smaller and smaller. Uh, I guess that's the four percent right. rule. But to your point, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah, the four percent. What most people think about four percent from the beginning, the principal amount, and not moving it by four percent down every year. That's how most retirees work. Not the other way around. It's like if the account goes down, most most people. Don't, don't say I'm going to take less money out don't next year. Don't take less money well, out. Frankly, yes. Pat, if someone's portfolio is allocated correctly, there are going to be years when they're great earnings, way excess. Like what, look, look at Challenge Win right now. 2021, the, the stock market had a great year, particularly U.S. markets, right? Up 20-some-odd percent. So if you had a million dollars in the equity market, suddenly you're like, man, I, I only spent 4% and I made, or I spent 5% or whatever, and I made 20 some odd percent. Heck, maybe I should go buy a new motor coach. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should go spend it. The mistake. challenge. Mistake. <laughs> mistake, because then you have years like 2022. Now, who knows how it's going to finish, but what we know right now kind of stinks. So the up years help you in the down years. Yes. So, 4% factor fiction? Well, it depends. And the, the 4% rule, I mean, if you kind of look it up, one of the, one of the issues with it, it, it automatically compounds with inflation, regardless of what's going on in one's life. Our experience is, when financial markets are really in turmoil, like go back to the Great Recession, people's spending patterns change. And they spend as they age. I mean, they change, the spending patterns change as a person ages too. 100% correct. My mother's 83, has no desire to travel anymore. Not even really leave the area. Yeah. Just kind of homebody, right? I don't know. Probably doesn't go out as much overall, right? It just, it changes. So 4%, they call 4% rule. Means you won't run out of money in retirement. Fact or fiction? Both. <laughs> Both. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. At retirement, your investments should be. Are we com- going through this whole list here? Yeah, we're going to go through. We're going to do three of the five. Okay. At retirement, your investments should become very conservative. Fact or fiction, Scott? Fiction. Why? 
look, an investment really needs to be based upon your time horizon, how long you've got to go, which is, and your income needs from that. When are you going to need to turn that investment into cash? Just because you get older doesn't mean your money always has a short time horizon. Warren Buffett is, what, 90-some-odd years old. He's not all in cash. Why? Well, he's never going to spend it all. It's, <laughs> it's only what you're going to need to spend. If you're not going to spend it, then you think about what's going to happen to it when I pass on and does it need to be, what's the time horizon? If I have a a pension from a government or a uh, employer, then, and I'm living off that, then maybe my investment portfolio should be much more aggressive. I mean, there's like that rule of thumb where you take 100 and and subtract your age. Yeah. That makes sense craziness. It doesn't make any sense. I know people are 75 that are really aggressive. I know people that are 75 that are really conservative. It doesn't really matter. So the answer, at retirement, your investment should become very conservative. That is fiction. Your savings could become less valuable over time. Well, what savings? Savings? True. It's true. And we're all feeling it right now. Right. Because of inflation. Are we not feeling it? Because of inflation. We're all feeling it right now. Because of inflation. That money we've got saved up does not, it didn't, it's not as much as it was a year ago. And it's hard to believe, but equities, because of this marketplace we're in right now, stocks or equities have a tendency to do well over time in an inflationary environment. Over time. Over, over time. time. Over not time. Over short, short not time. over short periods of time. Yeah. So. All right, let's go back to the calls here. Uh, fact or fiction? So join us, 833-99-WORTH, 833-999-6784. We're with Brian in California. Brian, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hi, Scott and Pat. Hi, nice Brian. To Brian. Talk to you. Well, thank you. Uh, I had a quick question. I have uh, four and a half years of IRA draws in cash just to play it safe and um, with interest or uh, interest eating away or inflation eating away at that, where's the best place to put some of that short term and medium short term. And so these are your RMDs, I take it. No, I'm, I'm 60. So uh, it's not required minimum distribution. So you've just decided for your mental well-being that you're going to take four and a half years and keep it in cash um, for that. Uh, no, no, I, I'm I'm actually waiting to see if we dip another ten percent. I'll add more to the market. Well, okay, so that, that's was, was my thought process. So if the plan is keeping some kind of dry powder to take advantage of if the markets dip lower, then I think stick, keep it in cash money market is clearly appropriate. If on the other hand, you're, if it's like, this is going to take my income for the next few years. I mean, you might want to either look at a ultra short term bond fund. What percentage of, what percentage of your portfolio are you taking out uh, in income right now? Uh, right now, 4.6%. And how is the portfolio allocated? Uh, large cap, small cap, mid cap. Any bond in it? Um, no bond. What percentage is in stocks then? Uh, probably 80%. And what's the yield, the dividend yield on the overall portfolio? Have you looked at that? 
Not overall, no. Not a, I'd say it's probably it's probably. How old are you, Brian? Sixty. 60. I'm I'm sixty. I'm on my um, third year of trial retirement. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'd go short term bond. Short term bond or ultra short term combination. Ultra-short. I mean, sometimes I I get these questions, and then I look at our own portfolios that we do at at Allworth for our clients, and they'll have five or six different fixed income funds that all are put together. They all do kind of their own thing, and they're designed to work in tandem. So when I get a question like, how should I invest these dollars? It's not actually as simple. Sometimes that fixed income portion can be a little more complicated than the equity portion. Um, right. I think there's more. Yeah, oppor- I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that um, educated on bonds. Yeah, most people aren't. Right. Um, and have you always been predominantly stocks? I mean, this is pretty high allocation for, um, for the I, most I'm not part, saying was, it's wrong. Was, right. Between 2000, um, 2009 and 2019, I was in the self-directed IRA, which I was uh, doing real estate purchases and remodels, flipping for the most part. Oh, you're kidding. How'd that work out? Worked out well. Yeah, I'd say yeah, probably pretty from, dang well. Yeah, your timing was excellent. Uh, I think I started... Uh, I had about two hundred and twenty thousand in two thousand eight, and I finished with a hundred uh, one point two million nice. in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, so it worked. It worked out well, but it got saturated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is what happens in that's <laughs> where, where capital. It's how capital markets work. Where money's being made, capital has a tendency to flow there. Yep, yep I would use a, a an ultra short or short term bond for, um, and I'd still probably keep maybe twelve months in cash. Out of the four point six, I don't I even don't, know if you need that. Though. I don't know if um, because you've got dividends coming out of even that stock portfolio. It's probably about one percent of the portfolio itself. I do. I I have some Verizon. I have some B of A, yeah. Citibank. Yeah. I, so if I were you, I would look at what your uh, look at what your portfolio is currently yielding, and then figure out what's five years worth of worth of 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 income. And make sure that's not tied to the stock market at all, right? Because you need to go through okay. these market cycles. So I, if, if I were you, I wouldn't be in any rush to dip into that five-year reserve to buy more stocks, even if the market fell another 10%. I'm, I'm going to agree with Scott there. You're, you've got a pretty aggressive portfolio for someone that's on a um, – If you find you've got eight years or nine years, then you might say, all right, those additional years you can afford to, to – But you said trial retirement. So I don't know whether that would. <laughs> you never know. Does that mean that you you're like? Do, do you are you looking in the marketplace to go back to work? Not at the moment. Okay, but I'm not opposed to it in the future. Got it. Got it. Got it. I wouldn't buy. I would uh, not I'm buy. A, I'm a. Yeah, I'm a general contractor. So okay. If I need to go back to work, I'll go back to work. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't in this where you're at this stage. I wouldn't be buying on the dips. Okay. Yeah, because you've already pretty allocated. So appreciate the, the, the call. Cha- yeah, the challenge is you end up you you put more money in when prices are lower and they stay lower for several more years, and um, then you end up having to sell at a loss. So he was uh, he made a bunch of money flipping houses, and he's a general contractor for a living. So his account went from two point five million dollars to one point two million dollars. Two point five. Uh, two hundred and fifty thousand yeah. to one point two five million. Over a ten-year period, how much of that was a res- sweat equity? Yeah, a direct result of the investments he made, or the fact that he had the knowledge as a general contractor. 
I don't know. And how much work did he do himself that he didn't bill himself for? I don't know. I don't know. Don't know the answer to those things. I don't know. Tax law allows. Tax law worked in his favor there. there it's interesting go. how tax law is, Pat. I was talking to a buddy of mine. Um, his wife, uh, he, he kind of took an early retirement. Then he was thinking about going and starting another uh, a, a business, small business. And it's kind of irrelevant what it is. but And he knew that it was more of kind of a hobby thing. But it's like, if I, he says, if I, even if I kill it, it's probably 70 to 100 grand a year in, in net income max. And his wife does very well uh, in her career. So they're at a higher tax level. So he says to me, he said, I start going through the math. And he said, first of all, I'd be self-employed. So I'd have self-employment tax of 15.3%. Yes. He says, then we're in a top um, federal income tax bracket, 37%. Plus, there's the um, uh, Obamacare tax, surtax, uh, of two point, I guess it doesn't apply to self-employment income. So Forget that. But it would apply to any outside of investments that they had, which could his self-employment income could impact this. I'm going to throw it back in there. Uh, plus, he lived in the state of California with top, top, top income rate of 13.3%. And now we're going to do 60%. 65%. So he says... So if I start this business and I'm successful, 35 cents on every dollar is going to go to taxes. I'm no, sorry. go to him. Go to him. I keep 35 cents of every dollar that I make if I'm successful. And he says, if I'm not successful and I end up having this business and a couple of years down the road, I wind it down. I've lost a bunch of money. I've lost a bunch of money. And, and no one's going to bail me out. the risk return ratio said. Not going to do it. That's the. And I, it's funny, I had this conversation with him, and I thought, he's a very talented individual, could probably add some value to the marketplace, add some value to other people's lives. And... Um, like, he's not in the marketplace anymore. Not for profit, not, no. No. It's like, what's the point? Yeah. And I agreed with him. Why would you, if you're going to only keep 35 cents on the dollar? Obviously, taxes have a lot to do with capital formation and how it takes place. Yeah, there's quite a bit of debate going on, I think, in our country right now and how that's yeah. going to shake out. We're going to go back to the phones to talk to Barbara. Barbara, thanks for joining All Words Money Matters. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Hi, Barbara. What can we do for you? Um, what I am doing, debating, is that we just bought a new car that costs, I'm going to round it out, at $59,000. Okay. Seven-year contract. I am 74, my husband's 70, but we do have a 23-year-old grandson who is going to be getting all this. What I want to do... Oh, I'm sorry, Barbara, for, how old did you say you are? I'm 74. Okay, thank you. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to take out 30000 out of our IRA. I want to put that against the car. Because I know that if I do that, I can have this car paid off within three years. If the, the problem here is, is that do I take this cash out knowing that I can pay off the rest of the car within three years? Or do I take out a monthly allocation more out of our IRA monthly and go for the seven years? With the possibility of something happening to us, 
the grandson would not be able to afford the payment. Got it. So let's ask a couple questions. How big is the IRA? It's right at 492. And do you have any money outside the IRA? Uh, you mean as income? No, no, it's like money in the bank or stocks or bonds or. Oh, just the money in the bank. How much money do you have in the bank? Each month. So how much money? Our is total in the... income is 105 a year. That's our net. Yeah, yeah, and how much money do you have in the bank? Like, in oh, savings? I have two accounts. One has eleven thousand. The other one has right at ten. Okay. And your income? What income sources do you have? Okay, we have our retirement, which okay. I, I'm just going to give a round out. When number. you say retirement, is that a pension from somewhere? A, a, a pension. Okay. A pension. It rounds out to about twenty six thousand a year. Okay. Uh, we have our IRA that rounds out to about twenty six thousand a year, twenty five eight thirty six, and then we have our Social Security, which comes out at about fifty three thousand a year. What's the interest rate on the car loan? Okay, the interest rate on the car loan is two point four. Huh? Two point four, and is your oh, is my your, husband says it's two point two four, and is oh. is your grandson listed as the on the beneficiary on your retirement account? Yes, he is. So everything's going to go to your grandson should you both pass. And do, do you do you have a normal health right now for seventy four and seventy year olds? Yes. Okay, so I mean, statistically, one of you is probably going to live into your nineties. Hopefully. Yeah. Um. So if that's the case, like the challenge, if, if you're taking an income with distribution from your IRA today, which it sounds like you are here because you're taking 26000 a year, the challenge, if you pull more money out of that IRA, you have less principal there working for you to generate that income. And right now, your distribution, your IRA, you said is almost $500,000. you are living on a 5% distribution for that uh, from the IRA okay, anyway. But... but- the agreement was that when we bought this car, it would not come out of the income that I have right now. No, understand. It was that we would take that the monthly payment out of the IRA. Oh, in so addition, that, means that would be seven years that I would be taking oh, ten thousand dollars a year it, out of the IRA, to where if I take the thirty thousand right now, there won't okay. be any so, more. Taking out of the IRA. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. I and will the be agreement able to was pay off the remainder of that car within max, I think, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. That way, if something happened to my husband or myself, that he would, my grandson, the car would be paid off because there is no way that he would be able to afford the payment. Yeah, well, well, he, he could afford he, it he when afford he afforded $500,000. In your home, he could afford it. So that we're not so there. But who was the agreement with? You said there was an agreement when you did this. The agreement was between my husband and the broker when we first got on there. That's not an agreement. Well, it wasn't an agreement. It was something that they said. She said later on, we've been retired four years. Okay. Okay. She says, well, later on, you're going to be wanting to take more money out to buy a new car. Mm-hmm. So 
I take for granted what I hear because I'm the one who manages the money. So I have right now no credit card debt, no debt, except for my mortgage on my house. I, here, here's what I would there's do. Two, well, there's two reasons why I would not recommend taking a lump sum out today. That's right. Two reasons. What are they? One, that interest rate is very low. Actually, three reasons. <laughs> One, the interest rate's very see, low. He, he, wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be able to afford the payment. We're not worried about your grandson. He would. You both yes, look at me. I look, am. Look. No, 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 Barbara. Barbara, you you die tomorrow. You both and your husband away. dies away. Uh, uh, where's the IRA go? To my grandson. Okay, and then he takes some money out of that and pays the car off. Why? He won't have a payment. He, he won't be able to afford the taxes to take the money out. Oh, he certainly will. He's 23 years of age. And he's making 11 bucks an hour. Okay, that's still, he'll be able to, even more reason that he'll be able to pay the car off. He'll have $500,000 in an account. And, and, and it might, you might not die. You might live another 20 years long after this car is paid off. So we're not going to worry about your grandson. You're going to worry about your grandson, but we're financial advisors. I don't know your grandson. I'm sure okay, he's a great well, if guy. I'm taking, if I'm taking $10,000 more a year out of the IRA, then I'm not, I'm, that's $10,000 less that I'm making money on uh, for seven years. Understand, look, understand. That car, you, you chose to spend $60,000 on a car. That's 60 grand's coming from somewhere. It's ultimately all going to come from your IRA. What your question you were asking us is the timing of it coming out of the IRA. Ultimately, you wanted to know, should I take it out as a lump sum? Should I take it out over three years? Or should I take it out over the life of the loan in which I signed up for, which was seven years? We're saying take it out over seven years. The interest rate is 2.24%. Cheap. Cheap, right? It allows your money to work for you longer. It's also... Taxes on those dollars yeah. are so deferred. Three reasons. One is the low interest rate. Two is the income taxes. When you take out more from a retirement account, it push it can push you into higher tax brackets. You got to pay more on on taxes. So if you take a big lump sum out today, it could cost you a higher tax rate on that than if you took it out of a period of time. And then third, this is a big factor too. Look, I don't. The, the financial markets have not done great this year. So your odds are you'd be selling something. At a loss, um, or not at a loss, but at a decline in value from where it was before and where it probably will be in the future. So it, I, I, for all those reasons, Barbara, we would recommend that you just continue with the program you got going forward. So appreciate, appreciate, the, call. appreciate the call. And it's, um, it's interesting. But I understand why Barbara's worried about the grandson that makes $11 an hour. The, the son will be easily able to go in there and take money by the way, the only thing that's taxable. How can you only make 11 bucks an hour in this day and age? Maybe he lives in a different state in California. I was talking to my friend. Okay. okay. There are lower minimum wage states in California. But not only that, the person inherits all the money in the bank, which here was $30,000, a home, which was receive a step up in basis, which it means... Assuming there's equity in the home that it's tax-free. And then the IRAs at that point in time. 
So very rarely do you see someone with a an amount of money like this being inherited where they're not able to afford a thirty, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar payment. I would go beyond that. Oftentimes, when you see someone inherit a slum like this, they go out and spend fifty, seventy five thousand dollars on a car within. Days, if not weeks, from the time they received the inheritance. The reality is... Which we we didn't get into this conversation with Barbara, but look, if you've got a beneficiary listed on your retirement account or a beneficiary on your your will... Or trust. Or trust, someone in your your family, some loved one's going to receive your assets, unless you are 100% confident that they're going to make wise choices with those dollars... You want to have some restrictions around their ability to blow through those that cash, because, because well, because we see it, and money has a tendency to make people more of what they already are. That's what money does. Money has a tendency to amplify behaviors. Right? If, if 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 I if my wife and I died today, and my twenty six year old daughter inherited, she would probably say, "Please don't give it to me all at once," because she knows her. She loves to spend money. She loves it. My son, twenty four year old son, just the opposite. I would, frankly, I'd have no problem if he got his inheritance. So, in this situation, we gave Barbara the advice, but really, what we should have spent some more time on the phone having this <laughs> conversation with issue. her about what. How's your son, grandson going to react when he gets this money? And will it actually make his life better or will it make it worse? And further, when you're thinking about family uh, and inheritances and whatnot, uh, sometimes people make, make decisions in their own finances that cause a, it's detrimental to their own personal situation. So it could be beneficial to the person who inherits the dollars. And that sounded like, frankly, that what Barbara was thinking about doing. That. So. I wouldn't. Anyway, but you can you can design wills and trust uh, that dole money out over periods of time based on uh, the productivity or uh, the needs of the person that's receiving them, which is how I've got things set up for my kids. Like my wife and I both get it's going to say get hit by a bus. But to your point, Pat, you like to say hit by an Amazon delivery van because far more likely, most likely in your own driveway. <laughs> anyway, we're out of time. We'll see you next week. This has been Allworth Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.